MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Welcome to a new episode of MindSpark Podcast by Chiara Hähnel. And my guest today is Brenda Harrington. Brenda is the founder of Adaptive Leadership Strategies, LLC. She's an executive coach, leadership development facilitator, and an author. Brenda, it's my pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much, Kiara, for having me. Ah, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the work that you do? It sounds very exciting. Certainly, certainly. After 30 plus years in private industry, I realized across many different environments, large companies, small companies, different sectors, that there was one common denominator. And that is that when you get the people part right, amazing things can happen. And so about 12 years ago, I decided that I was going to take the wheel, if you will, and, and really uh, be intentional about the final chapter of my professional life. And that's when Adaptive Leadership Strategies was born. And I really wanted to create a learning space, not training, not teaching, but a learning space for leaders and aspiring leaders to develop the habits that would enable them to be the best version of themselves. And so I'm excited to say that uh, I, I have the privilege of working with a, a, a broad spectrum of leaders around the world uh, in, in different sectors and, uh, you know, partnering with them to, to do the hard work. Amazing. I love that. And we see, I see we have a big overlap in our areas of passion. So I'm very excited to tap into your brain and also to offer you this stage to share your learnings and nuggets of knowledge with our listeners. Should we dive right in, Brenda? Let's dive right in. Absolutely. Good. I want to ask you about influential and authentic leadership. So what does that mean for you and how can I practice my leadership style to be authentic and also to have influence? Great question. You know, I think that authenticity informs your ability to have influence. So when I think about authentic leadership, to me, it means living your values and your beliefs in a constructive way, right? Being transparent and being vulnerable, allowing people to get to know you as, you know, to get to know you and your humanity as the person that you are. And when you're mm -hmm. able to achieve that, then you can talk about exercising influence and having impact. Being yourself, being authentic, really fosters the development of trust. And, and in order for us to cultivate and become that influential leader that we want to be, we really have to establish a rung of trust. That's very interesting. So how do I become an authentic leader? Some might ask themselves now. Yeah. You know, we spend so much time thinking about what we need to develop, what other people say that we need that we don't have, and how to create all of these other things that we see other people doing and, and saying and being. The reality is we all have something. And we don't always take the time to figure out what that is. It might not be what we expect or on the face of it, what we want it to be. But once you realize what that is, your strength, and I refer to that sometimes as your, your power center, right? And, and you really develop that. You can really identify or clarify what those values are that are so meaningful for you and, and really show up more authentically. Instead of being in character, I'll say as, some, as someone else that others think you should be. 
This is amazing. You know, right now I'm doing a female leadership course with an American well-known university, an online course, and it was exactly about that. We learned that we need to understand what are our personal values, but also what are our strengths and focus on further developing the strengths because just focusing on reducing your weaknesses is a very old-fashioned leadership style in a way. So I love that you're mentioning it. Um, what would you recommend for me if I'm new in this topic to understand what are my values and my strengths? How do I navigate to find my authentic self? Yeah, just really think about the things that you that are important to you. I often ask clients, you know, if money had nothing to do with it, if you weren't working in exchange for compensation, how would you spend your time? And a lot of times we resign ourselves to the fact that whatever we like is not something that we can bring to work. And I would argue that there's always a place if we ask the right questions and if we allow ourselves to think about our strengths and our values and our beliefs in a different way. So really getting to know who you are and, and really being clear on the things that you like and that are important to you. Amazing. Can I ask you about your personal values that you have defined? Yes, absolutely. Integrity is number one, really, regardless of what the story is, what the circumstances are, truth is very important to me. And something that clients, and, and we'll probably talk about this as, as we continue our conversation, something that, that I often talk to clients about, if you, if you ask any of my past clients, you know, what are Brenda's two favorite words? They are accountability and expectations. And mm -hmm. so it, it really is is important to me that that we all uh, you know live in the the reality that we're facing the, the world is a different place than it was just a few years ago and you know all of these things I'm saying uh, are not to being more aware and being more efficient making better use of time and and really cutting through all of the noise so those are the things that are at the top of my list Amazing. Yeah, integrity is also on my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Perfect. I also want to ask you about a topic you're an expert on, which is succession planning and occupational transitions, which is extremely interesting, also given the perspective of values, strengths, but also how you shape the environment that people can live their strengths in the setup. So what is your advice on succession planning for leaders? I get so excited when, when someone uh, has the courage to ask this question. So thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm happy that you're answering it, you know. <laughs> you know, so many times I, I see that people have been elevated or promoted into new roles. And then the organization or then the individual starts to think about what they have to do to prepare. And it's a little late. Okay. So mm. I, I, would, I would implore organizations, first organizational leaders, To, to think about succession more holistically. And if there are people who are being developed or, or groomed, sometimes the term is, uh, for, for larger spaces, to begin to invest in that transition before it happens, if you know. Sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a short turnaround, but there are many times that we have got, you know, enough runway, if you will, to, to really focus on that. And then for the individuals themselves, if you aspire to be, in a particular role or, or play a particular function, 
don't rely on the organization alone to to provide that development for you. Be willing to invest in yourself, whether that's education, whether that's certifications, whether that's uh, interacting with people in a different field or a different position. Take time to invest in yourself. What is your take on, because a lot of organizations say, for example, to be promoted, you need to perform already at this new level of the role that you want to be promoted in. And of course, if you don't have support to take external courses and to become this new future version of yourself, if you don't have financially support from your employer, for example, what is some strategies that you would recommend? You know, sometimes we have to be willing to take a few risks. And I think people in general are can be a bit coy about having some difficult conversations about the things that they need to be successful. Many organizations do have a blueprint, you're right, for what it will take to move to the next level or transition into a different role. But I think you have to ask the right questions. And I think you have to, one, be willing to make a compelling case for yourself. Two, ask for what you need, especially women. And three, mm -hmm, yeah. hold the, the individual and the organization accountable for those commitments. So you've got to be willing to, to contract for yourself. And, and you're always contracting to make sure that you can stay on track. You've got to be a steward of your own circumstances and you cannot rely on others to, to, do, to do these things for you. Yeah, good point. I was reading a lot about taking ownership for our lives and also our careers. And I think this is flipping completely the perspective on how we see it. It's not about waiting for opportunities, but rather actively creating them for yourself and owning also the process, which can be tough, especially as a woman. I agree. <laughs> it can be tough, but not impossible. And I think that we leave a lot on the table because we're conditioned to think that it's it's beyond our reach. And, you know, you, you would be fascinated in what you can accomplish, what can you achieve if you just ask. So many times we just don't even ask. Yeah. How would you structure the process of asking for this role or this transition that you really desire? Is there some strategy to prepare well? These are the five points that I should consider. Well, it starts with what we spoke about earlier, really understanding your why. I didn't refer to it that way earlier, but you know what it is you want, your values, your beliefs, and why you feel that you are uh, a good person or in, in, if you're talking about a particular role, the best person for a particular opportunity. But I think you've got to present that case in the, in the context of what value it brings for the organization. Everyone's asking the same question. What's in it for me, right? So yeah. less the lens of what you want when it comes time for the discussion and more through the lens of the value and the benefit for the entity or the organization. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. I want to dive deeper on the succession planning topic, but also for leaders, because usually I might have more than one person that would like to advance their career. How do I deal with a situation in the best way if there's only one role available, but I have multiple people who are actually up 
to the next level? Do I create opportunity spaces? How do I create expansion or learning opportunity for all these team members? Yeah. You know, being promoted is not an entitlement. And I think that it, when you have competitiveness among peers to get into a particular role would be to, to be considered, it is clear to see, you know, what the intention is of each and every person involved in, in that, in those interactions. Right. And, yeah. and sometimes people get it and very respectfully, others don't. And I think that you just have to be, this is, and this is a time where it's probably good. And, you know, it sounds harsh perhaps, but this is when it's good to take the names off the, the chart, if you will, and, and really look at, at who is, uh, best prepared, who, who is making the, the best overture or approach to, you know, prepare and, and move forward into the role. I also think, though, for the people who are not successful, it's important to have honest conversations with them, to let them know what they can do to be prepared for the next opportunity and what kinds of things they need to focus on. I find that that's left out of many conversations and it, and it leaves people feeling you know, deflated. You never want to do that. But, but yeah. this is about adding value. Yeah, definitely. You want to make sure people feel like they belong and you care for them, even Absolutely. though it's not successful. When should I start in advance with the succession planning? Because you said usually people don't take enough time. What is a good average? And I'm assuming there's also then other new roles that have to be filled. So actually, I, I it looks or it feels to me like I would need to create a map in my head. But then, of course, if someone leaves before the transitioning is happening, everything is also falling apart again. So it sounds quite complex. You know, it, it depends. There are some organizations that have very structured learning and development programs. And so for people at a particular level, they they are registered to take or complete certain courses and things like that. And so if you know that someone is uh, earmarked for a particular role, getting them enrolled or registered or set up for those particular courses as, as appropriate before they're in the role is one thing. Uh, certainly having conversations with them, uh, feedback conversations, coaching conversations to let them know about things that they can be doing doing on their own to begin preparing. But the other thing is, I think that this is a huge opportunity to make sure you break through assumptions. And this is really important. And what I mean by that is, I hear so many leaders say, well, Donna's been here for 10 years and she's done this and she's done that. And I'm sure she knows. I'm sure she knows. It really is important to validate that. Okay, and to begin to have different conversations with the person, have more strategic, higher level conversations, ask the right questions to hear from from the Donnas of the world, if you will. And I apologize to anyone who's listening who might be named Donna. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone, but but I, I really want to bring this uh, home. It's so important to understand how the person is thinking to make sure that the expectations are aligned. And, and that what you are expecting is, in fact, what will occur when that person, if and when that person is promoted. Yeah. 
I would like to add some thoughts from my voluntary work because I'm leading a young professional network in project management. And there I have to take care of succession management. Of course, these are volunteers, so it's about intrinsic motivation. And we usually have this approach to have two to three people for each role that we are considering that we want to build up. Of course, we try to create a role for all of them. But then sometimes it can be very tough because life comes in between. So it feels like a big part of my role as a leader is actually to make sure I create an environment for the talent to learn, but then also I create a way to transition out and for new people to transition in to make sure we have this constant pipeline of talent. What's your take on that? Well, it's not all yours to do. And, you know, it goes back to what I said about entitlement, you know, because there there are likely people, you know, who are involved in that process who just believe that they'll be moved forward. And with all due respect, you, you really want to pay attention to who is digging in and who is committed and what level of priority it is for them beyond what you're doing. There are some things that we have to do for ourselves so they cannot just sit and expect for you to do all of that to, to move them forward. You, you need to true. really see who's more highly engaged. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. We spoke about succession planning from the perspective of a leader, but what does it mean from the perspective of a team member? What are the things that I should consider? Is there an active role for me as a team member as well? Always. And that goes back to the, the, the idea of individual development and really asking questions, you know, so really managing the process up, asking your boss or senior management, what kinds of things should I be working on? What will give me greater insight? You know, what other meetings can I participate in? So you want to be proactive and really demonstrate interest. And I think that that additional exposure, particularly when you're asking to participate in, in different meetings and be involved in, in different activities, I think it's important because a lot of times people say they want to be in a particular role, but they don't really understand what that means, you know, day to day. And, and that yeah. gives them exposure and insight. Yeah, I agree. It's usually the title that people would like to have, but then <laughs> what comes with the role is a bit underestimated in many cases. They, they want the title. Certainly they like the comp the uh, compensation and, and, and some of the, the trappings, if you will. And, and I see this a lot with individual contributors who are coming into first-time people manager roles. It's a completely different mindset, completely different skill set. So it doesn't mean that you will, as a manager, do more of what you've been doing as an individual contributor. It, it really means developing that influential leadership capacity and beginning to learn how to get things done through others. And that's a completely different way of thinking and working. Yeah. Good, good. Very good point. What are, beside influential leadership capabilities, what are the skills that I will have to practice to be a good first-time team lead? Relationships, listening, Building relationships, I should say, developing relationships, listening, curiosity, and asking those questions, really making sure you're asking the right questions to, to understand how the members of the team 
our thinking, how that thinking is aligned with the desired outcome, and just not making assumptions. Uh, uh, just assuming that someone knows and will do what you did and has the same interests and approach to you can, can take us to very bad places. <laughs> so, so really, yes. yeah, peeling back and, and asking questions. Yeah. Yes, I agree. In my first leadership and team lead role, I had a lot to learn. <laughs> and what is obvious to me is not obvious to another person. Not at all. <laughs> Fully with you. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. You also speak about global mindset. So mm. Brenda, what is a global mindset? Global mindset is the complement of skills and competencies that a leader has that enables that person to exercise influence across cultures with people who are different from the leader. Perfect. So it's something like intercultural um, abilities, intercultural sensit sensitivity, better being able to understand the different nuances or... It's all of those yeah. things, but it really is the development of skills. And I would say starting with awareness that you cannot speak to two individuals from different parts of the world, different cultures in the same way. And, you know, I use the term speak, but this comes down to everything from asynchronous communication, such as sending emails. You know, you would not necessarily take the same approach to Uh, sending, preparing and sending an email to someone in Eastern Europe as you would to someone in the Middle East, just very high level, you wouldn't hand a business card the same way. So knowing those nuances, understanding the significance of them is very, very important when you're working in a highly diverse global setting. Yeah. Do you have any examples, anonymized examples to share that now in retrospective are something to laugh about, but something that went wrong or something to avoid when being a leader in a new cultural context? Painting the same, the whole team with one brush. And, uh, you know, I think that one of the largest faux pas, I'll say, is when you have a an international company, let's say, based in North America, and everything is... Uh, addressed through a North American lens. And so you're not as sensitive to uh, holidays and traditions and things like that. Uh, and, and you're not really focused on relationship. It, it's, very, it's very important to, and, and, and I, I use you know, North America as an example because things tend to be a little bit more transactional and not relationship-based. You know, and, yeah. and so you, you, you've really got to make sure you're bridging that gap. And if you have uh, responsibility for five different regions, five different parts of the world, that might be five different approaches. So you've really got to stop and, and pay attention to what, what matters most and what will enable you to develop that rapport and build trust. Trust is a, a, a very simple one-syllable, five-letter word, but it is powerful. And if you don't know how to build trust with others who don't see things the same way that you do, then it can be very challenging, if not impossible, to really be effective.
Absolutely, absolutely. I would like to blend this global mindset concept also with the succession planning. So how in a global environment with different team members do I make sure I cater for the different needs of my teams that want or team members that want to evolve? I think that if you are leading a global team, it's really important to to work toward creating awareness for members of the team that this is a tenet of of being a part of the team just as it is just as financial forecasting every quarter and and meeting other business objectives a lot of times we set this aside and we think of it as something that's discretionary when in fact in my opinion it's 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 the starting point and when you can really focus on cultivating those relationships you can do just about anything okay that that may sound a little extreme but but there's a lot of truth to that when people trust you and they believe in you then it's a lot easier to work things out unfortunately many team leaders go in business first and they don't always pay enough attention to the relationships and and the diversity on the team and and that's that's uh that's a frailty it, it creates a lot of vulnerability on the team yes i i agree and i do a lot of work around psychological safety growth mindset so creating foundations where people feel safe and i have the feeling with the great resignation and a lot of disruption coming in there is slowly more focus on the people because organizations realize if we care as little as we did in the past, people are leaving. Do you also see the same trend with your customers? Constantly, constantly. And it, it's so interesting because, you know, we've, we've been in the midst of this transition since, well, for the last 25 or 30 years, since we, since the introduction of the term, emotional intelligence entered the business in the 90s. And some people have bought into it and others have flat out rejected it. And I think that when you talk about the great resignation, a lot of leaders say, okay, well, I've tried everything else. So let's, you know, let's take a look at this, you know, and emotional intelligence, but they don't take it seriously. Okay. Inauthentic, completely inauthentic. All right. But as I said, and, and a big part of why I do what I do, is is I recognized after many years in industry that when you get the people part right, just about anything else can be possible. And so what I find now is that some organizations are behind the eight ball. They, you know, they they are trying to accelerate their uh, their 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 movement in in the way and you know toward toward really being more people centric and. For some, it's 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 sincere and it's beginning to work. For others, it's not. It's somewhat inauthentic, and it's not working so well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so interesting because when I discovered the concept of a growth mindset, it was like eight or nine years ago, and after feeling everyone should know by now, nobody's interested no. anymore in these concepts. But it's still relevant, like emotional intelligence, what you're saying. And after feeling maybe this is the time that it takes to change, you know, our own mindset, behavior, culture, and organizations. 
Um, but it's interesting that we're still in the process of changing. Yeah. Well, we are. And, you know, I, I hate to, I hate to uh, categorize people, but, you know, I hear a lot about uh, from, from, from millennials and Gen Xers and now, you know, Gen Z coming into the workplace, you know, that the challenge, a lot of the challenge, not all, but a lot of the challenge is with more senior members of the workforce. You know, I had someone say to me last week, she said, you know, the, the, we have all these baby boomers and they just won't go. <laughs> They're just hang, hanging on, hanging on. And, you know, I'm a baby boomer. So, you know, I, and I didn't take offense to that because here's the thing. When we were coming through the the, the system, if you will, you know, the, it, at one time it was, you know, get your education, work, retire. That's mm -hmm. not where we are anymore. This is, we're, we're in a space of lifelong learning. Okay. The world is changing so quickly. So many things have changed and continue to change all of the disruption. And, and if you, if you want to continue to be a part of that beautiful, but you've got to avail yourself of new skills new, new, new training, new learning, and, and not hold on to so many vestiges of the past. And, and I, I think that that's where a lot of the challenge is. We didn't grow up talking about emotions and feelings and relationships <laughs> at work. Okay. Get yeah. the work done. That was, that was the beginning and the end of it. Okay. And so it's difficult for a lot of people to make that transition, not impossible, but You know, I would say, with all due respect, if, if you're not willing to at least uh, consider it, then, you know, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to struggle, especially with so many generations in the workforce right now. Yeah, and it's not getting any better. If we look at millennials, Gen Z, I think it will be even more in, in this direction that people want to have more freedom They want to be vulnerable. They want to grow together. They want to have a safe environment. So what can I do out of all generations to practice my global mindset and to make sure I'm doing, I'm putting in the work to, you know, set myself up for success? Yeah. Be curious and, you know, in a, in a constructive and a, in a meaningful way, be curious about people who are from, from different corners of the world who uh, perhaps see things differently than you do, inquire and learn about what's important to them, what they consider uh, important to establish trust and things like that. And just don't assume that everybody, as you said earlier, that everybody sees things the same way that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It is more communication effort, but you will broaden your perspective and horizon. That's something that I learned. It's like always good to take a step back, even though you have already formed a hypothesis in your head. But usually if you investigate, the truth yeah. is very far from your own idea of how reality looks like. It can be. It can be. And when you layer, you know, cultural differences on top of just human personality, right? Just, just the fact that we're, we're all a little bit different. We have different interests and things like that. It can be very complex. And so if you're, if you are entering a, a working relationship with, with someone, you know, start out by, by trying to establish rapport, getting them, getting to know them, 
in allowing them to get to know you and, and figuring out, you know, where your, where your middle is. Yeah. Great. Brenda, you also have written a book, which is very impressive. It's called Access Denied. And you write about the path to success and focus on the areas beyond degrees, experience and competence. And as you know, I'm very interested in cultural perspectives and the leadership lens. So what is your take on succeeding in an organization and driving change? So this goes back to the, uh, the importance and necessity of setting the right expectations. And mm. in organizational context, to me, that ties directly with understanding the culture. We get so preoccupied and somewhat distracted by our own competence and capabilities and, and, and what we can bring that we don't always think enough about how that fits in to the bigger picture. And so it's really important to understand and learn the culture of an organization, know who the influencers are and the power players, and, and really make sure that the efforts that you're making are aligned with, with that. We've all, well, many of us have heard the term culture eats strategy for, for lunch or breakfast or whatever it is, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you can see strategic plans, you can see vision statements, you can see all of these things, but pay attention to what's actually happening. What behaviors are being tolerated? What behaviors are being rewarded? All right. And, and that really gives you tremendous insight into, you know, what, what the culture of the organization is and what it represents. That's an amazing point and an exercise that I love to do when I'm doing culture workshops with middle and senior management is that I want them to understand and identify what are the things that are not working within my team and how am I creating these behavioral responses through role modeling, what is punished and what is rewarded? Because usually people say, oh, I don't know why the team is not focused, why the people are not doing this and that. But then if you look at the leader, they're not consistent themselves. So how should the team be able to focus? Exactly, exactly. And I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. I know it sounds harsh to people when I say take the names off the organization chart, but the reality is it's very different to think about the requirements of the, the position of vice president of marketing, let's say, than it is to think about John's job as the vice president of marketing, right? And once it becomes yeah. John's job, you know, then we're not always thinking with clarity in terms of the bigger picture. And so it really is important. And, it, and it's a fine line because, you, you know, you want the relationships and all that. But everybody, you need everybody to focus on the shared goal and desired outcome and, and for it to be less personal. And that's where I think we get into trouble. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. How do I identify the power players in an organization? You, you just... You, you you watch the you you watch and learn. You, you you pay attention to what's happening. I can think of an organization now uh, where certainly there's a person in the CEO role that's making decisions and 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 you know all of those things. But it's very clear that one of the people who heads the division 
has a significant, a division of the company has a significant amount of power. All right. And so it's less about the messaging that we hear. It's what we see playing out. And so it really is important to pay attention to that. It's a, power doesn't always come from the top. Mm, yeah, we all have our area of influence. That's right. Absolutely. How do I build my own brand then in this environment? Yeah. So first, reading the room, as we've talked about, really understanding who's who, then juxtaposing that with those values, those all important values and beliefs that are important to you and, and figure out, you know, where the two align. And sometimes that brings us to, to really making hard choices because we talked about integrity earlier, right? Mm -hmm. the, the opportunity to protect the integrity of your values and beliefs, you know, may come into question at times, but you need to know that before you you invest a lot of time and energy moving down the wrong path. And so once you really understand the the underpinnings, the, the, the kind of the fabric of the of the organization that is the culture, and 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 you really have a more of a, a, a more of a roadmap to understand what you can achieve and how. It may not be what you expected or what you wanted. Maybe it's something else. But but it begins with really understanding what the organization is about. Great. So it's basically step one, understand my own values, my strengths. Number two, understand the values, the culture, the underlying behaviors, what is tolerated in an organization, and then make sure to understand, to identify the power players who is in the right positions, and then also taking the decision if this is the right environment for me. If so, how can you succeed with your goals and the goals of the organization in this environment? You get an A. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nice. I guess this is an also the way how I would drive diversity and inclusion to drive these topics that are important to me in an organization, even though they might not be number one priority for the power players, I assume. This is really important. Because in the last two and a half, going on three years now, you know, diversity and inclusion and talk conversations about equity have been very, they've been fashionable, right? It's been popular to talk about it. We are now getting to the point, I believe, that we'll, we'll really understand to whom it is important and, and who has just been going through the motions, okay? But I think that, again, coming back to culture, You have to really make that assessment, understand what what it means to the organization. Is it is it important for the organization to be a reflection of their client base? You know, is it significant for the space that they occupy, for their shareholders, whatever the situation might be? But in that, it goes back to that what's in it for me question. And so really being able to make a compelling argument or case for why it's important for the organization to focus on inclusion and diversity and what that looks like for the organization is important. Yeah, yeah. Can you share one big takeaway from your book, Access Denied, with us? I don't want to, I don't want you to share a summary, but what is the one um, piece that you really like people to know about? Access Denied is a compilation of stories Uh, told by real people about their 
experiences in the workplace that have been impacted by race and in some cases the absence of diversity and uh, missed opportunities for to be fully included. And so I think the best way for me to summarize it is to talk about the primary and what I consider kind of a secondary audience. The primary audience for me when I was writing the book was people who have had similar or who are having similar experiences to those told about talked about in the book. It can be very um it can be a very lonely experience. And so there are two messages that I, you know, communicate out of the gate. One, what's happening is real. You're not crazy because sometimes people are made to feel that, oh, no, it's not that really. You misunderstood. Right. So I want them to know that there's, there's reality in what they're experiencing. So some validation. And two, they're not alone because there can be a tremendous amount of guilt associated with, with some of the feelings that, that, that you begin to experience when, when, when some of these things are happening. The secondary audience, which really started to develop and emerge after the book was released, are organizations that are truly committed to learning more and creating more awareness of the experiences of, of, of minorities and, and people of color in the workplace you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm stunned by some of the responses. You know, I've ha- I had no idea. I never thought about it this way. And, and a lot of people have gone back to reflect on past experiences and circumstances, and it has helped them to see things differently. So the message, the summary is not very different than what we talked about with regard to global mindset. Be curious, ask questions, you know, check your awareness, really. And, and just be willing to engage with, with people who might have a different perspective to, to learn as much as you can about a situation uh, and so that you can make an informed decision about how you want to respond. I'm not trying to change anybody's beliefs or opinions or how they feel, but I would like for people to have as much information as possible before landing at a, at a particular decision. Thank you, Brenda. That's an amazing summary. And I fully agree that different perspectives can be so enriching because they also show us some of our own blind spots and help us to learn and grow together. Ah, We are almost at the end. And as every guest, I also would like to ask you about your advice to take action because I believe change comes from action. So I also would like to hear your take on what's the greatest advice or learning that you want to share with our listeners. It can be anything that you practice or a quote. I'm very curious to hear what's yours. There's one quote that I think has so much relevance today in business and relationships in society. And it's a quote by Maya Angelou that says, people won't remember what you said or what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Okay. And so I think that with the things we've talked about today, being curious, uh, challenging yourself to create more awareness, you know, ask if there's anything else that you're not seeing, what are my blind spots? So that we're really focusing more on those relationships and interactions with other human beings, right? And, and, and really working toward relationship in the collective and not being so centered on 
on ourselves as individuals. And there's something each of us can do really every day in that vein if we if we just allow ourselves to to begin to think about things differently. Amazing. It really touched my heart. <laughs> Brenda, do you have any other sentence that you want to share, a summary of what we talked about? No, I appreciate the conversation and, and I'm grateful for the, the beautiful questions that, that you've asked and the reflections that you've shared. So, so thank you very much. Um, when, we, when we talked about your audience, it's, it sounds like there's, there's quite a span and uh, that's, that's great. That, that speaks volumes for the work that you're doing. So congratulations on that. The only thing that I will say is that, uh, you know, I like to remind people that this is not a dress rehearsal that we're in and time goes by quickly and we have but one pass. And so, you know, a lot of times we put things off and say, well, next year I'll do this or, you know, two years from now, there's never a perfect time. There's no right time. So if there's something that you desire to do, something that you want to work toward for yourself, start today. Perfect. Brenda, it was my pleasure to have you. It was such a rich conversation. You really inspired me. I'm like, okay, I need to go after my goals. <laughs> It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Don't forget to dream big and have impact. It's a journey. If you like my work, you can leave me a good rating and share this episode with friends and colleagues or whoever would benefit from this MindSpark. And follow MindSpark on Instagram under mindspark.academy. Take care and see you for the next episode.